0: Brands looking to embed financial services in their products want to get to market quickly, and they don't want the heavy lift of building finance workflows and managing regulation. 11FS Foundry is the answer. It's our financial services operating system that lets you embed finance in weeks, not years. And it gives you the pre-built workflows and smart features to win customers for your platform. To find out more and get a demo, head to 11FS.com forward slash Foundry today.
1: From 11FS, this is InsureTech Insider News. Today we bring you the sun is shining on InsureTech, the FCA puts a stop on penalising loyal customers, and a stink device is set off at Lloyd's HQ. All this and more on today's show. Hello and welcome to InsureTech Insider News episode 93. I'm still Nigel Walsh. Uh, today's show is a new show where we'll be talking about most interesting news of the stories just gone. There's no Sarah today, but I'm accompanied by some amazing guests as always. First up, we have finally Charlotte Halkett, the Chief Commercial Officer from Bought by Many. How are you doing today, Charlotte? Charlotte?
2: I'm doing great. The sun is shining and I'm talking to you, Nigel. What could be better?
1: <laughs> Shall we stop right there? It's, um, it's been a busy week for you guys, which we'll come on to very shortly. But before we do, can you give a quick recap for our listeners of what Bought by Many actually is?
2: Delighted to so uh, bought by many or many pets, as we're known in the US and Sweden. Uh, we offer advanced, easy to access pet healthcare insurance, and we're here to show the world that you can love your pet insurance. Uh, we launched pet insurance in 2017, and we have been grow, grow, growing ever since.
1: Fantastic! More on that later, folks. Uh, next up, we have Ori Blumenthal, CTO and co-founder of Voom. How are you doing today, Ori? Not too bad. Not too bad, Nigel. Excited to be here for the first time. Hopefully not the last. Well, I I hope so too on both counts. Um, And can you explain to us a little bit more about what Voom does, please? Of course. Um, Voom is an
3: innovative insurtech company creating the next-gen insurance products for new mobility segments. That could be drones, motorcycles, scooters, anything you can ride, fly, sail, whatever.
1: You've got me on my trigger points ready with scooters, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> um, next up, we've got a packed audience today. Next up, we've got Jimmy Williams, co-founder and CEO of Urban Jungle. Jimmy, how are you doing? Very well,
0: thank you, Nigel. Similarly enjoying the heat and sunshine for a bit of a change here.
1: For, for our listeners, I have to say, only you and I are the ones not wearing corporate swag. I think we need to do better on this one. So uh, yeah, we'll have to come back to that. Can you, um, for our listeners, can you give a quick recap of what Urban Jungle is, please?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, So we're the leading uh, tech in the home insurance space in the UK. Um, So we've got about 40,000 customers um, and we use data and tech uh, in some funky ways to make insurance much more affordable, particularly for young people.
1: Fantastic. And last, but by no means least, debuting today, Tara Kelly, president and CEO of Splice Software. How are you doing today, Tara? I'm excellent. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for joining us. And for our listeners that didn't listen to episode four, I remember all this way, uh, can you tell us a bit more about Splice?
4: Yes, absolutely. So Splice is in the business of helping companies capture express consent that's verifiable and easy. And then you can have those text, call, email conversations uh, with full consent on file. So really about automated workflow and helping people uh, respect the privacy. Fantastic.
1: Thank you all for joining me. Let's get on with the show. The sun is shining on InsurTech. Now, this is one I actually helped write earlier this week, and I was super excited to see. It seemed like there was a flurry of activity, of funding. A couple of examples. The German uh, startup WeFox raised a whopping $650 Series C, led by Target Global, and has reached a post-money valuation of $3 billion. Uh, WeFox, for those that don't know, is a digital insurer focused on personal insurance products, such as household insurance, motor, and personal liability. In addition, WeJo, a global leader in connected vehicle data, has gone public through a SPAC, valuing the business at $1.1 billion, and is expected to deliver approximately $330 million on gross proceeds. To find out more, we heard from Richard Barlow, CEO and founder of WeJo directly.
5: Thank you for the intro. Hi there, my name is Richard Barlow. I'm the founder and CEO of Wejo. Wejo is a global leader in connected vehicle data. Um, we've just agreed last Friday to publicly list in the US through a business combination with Virtuoso Acquisition Corp. What that means is that the transaction implies an equity value of approximately $1.1 billion and we expect gross proceeds, including $230 million of cash in, in Virtuoso, to have a total of $330 million. In terms of what Wejo does, we process live, real-time data directly from motor manufacturers, otherwise known as OEMs, and we have access to over 150 sensors in-car. We process 14 billion data points a day at peak, 400,000 a second. And how that translates into sort of real-world stats is that we see 7% of vehicle movements in New York, uh, 6% in California, for example, or also in Europe and also in Asia as well. In terms of the tech space, we're getting live data from vehicles uh, and, you know, we get live sensor data. So we're going to be able to help not only the broader UBI space in terms of driver scoring, but also help with claims leakage and ethanol. So huge, exciting, huge, exciting for insurance partners. We're about to launch UBI programs in both the US and Japan, and we expect to be launching UBI programs in Europe by 2022.
1: Fantastic to hear from you, Richard, on that one. Thank you very much for joining us. And finally, Bought By Many have raised $350 million in a Series D funding round, valuing the business at $2 billion. Wow, wow, wow. And I think since we've written there, I've seen more announcements. So Charlotte, let's start with you. Bought By Many has had an amazing week. A, congratulations to you and all the team. Can you tell us a bit more about it, please?
2: Well, um, I mean, you've given the headlines there. It's been, uh, obviously really exciting time. The, the most exciting thing for us is actually as a business, we are as you know, just obsessed with customers. And we're obsessed by doing a really great job. And we also really pride ourselves on the fact that we're a fantastic place to work. We try and make this culture of diversity and this culture of innovation a place that we really, really want to be. So that's our main focus. So this is the most amazing validation of that as well. I mean, it's it's no secret that it's been a year of a pet. I mean, with so with so many people over this lockdown year, have turned to furry friends and looked at the way they live their life. I mean, it's really fascinating when people are thinking about working from home, when they're thinking about what they really want in life. A lot of that has been thinking about the environment they're in, thinking uh, what they want to do, what they want to do day to day, and pets have been a huge part of that. On top of that, we offer really great coverage. We, as you know, we're completely obsessed with our NPS numbers and our customer feedback. Um, And funny enough, yesterday with all the announcements going out, the thing that, for instance, our our COO was most excited about was that we got NPS 80 for the week before. You know, that's the most important thing to us. So it's really fantastic. It basically, it allows us to do an awful lot more of what we're doing. uh, And that's what's really, really exciting.
1: The big question, of course, when you get £350 million is what are you going to spend it on?
2: Oh, we have plans. We have many plans. It's, it's really funding growth. It's funding our expansion, both within the UK, expansion overseas. As you know, we launched in the US not uh, that long ago, and it, it's really, it's ex- expansion there as well. So, um, Yes, it's, I mean insurance is is this world where um we have an incredibly high retention level um we certainly do at bought by many um and it's all about funding that funding that growth and funding our international and internal development. So um it it turns out it, yeah I mean I've kind of I've kind of covered We can it. leave it there. Yeah. We can leave it it's fine.
1: <laughs> um Jimmy obviously huge numbers this week looking at yourselves and what you could do going forward, given what Wefox have done and what Bought by Many have done. What does this mean for the rest of the insure tech industry? What do you see going forward?
0: Yeah, so I think it's not just these recent ones, right? Like it's been a year of massive spectastic in the US and um, and IPOs. Um, I think, you know, what's news this week, which is great, is it's European insure tech, right? So this isn't, just a US phenomena, It's a global phenomena, These are pretty material <laughs> amounts of money uh, going in in private markets, which just is kind of validation that insuretech is a proper thing now. Which you know is undeniably a, a proper thing now. That maybe you could have tried to deny it a couple of years ago. You know, even if you are a big FTSE fifty insurance company or you know uh, SP five hundred if we're in the US. When sums like this are going into these companies, it's it gets harder and harder to think that insuretech is this fad that's going away. So I think you know it's it's pretty interesting. I think it's also kind of interesting that we've seen relatively little M and A. So I think if you look at the kind of fintech cousin of insuretech, before businesses were, were were kind of bringing in these rounds of these sorts of size, there were there were like a lot of things getting taken out early. And it's great to see businesses be independent and challenge the status quo. Um, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on this this, Charlotte. Kind of in your seat, like, you know, obviously you guys want to stay independent and grow really rapidly, but kind of I, I guess you're getting offers. <laughs> um and do you do you do you think you're now too big to get taken out? And how, how how do you think about that or anyone else on one here? That's a big question.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I can jump in on that as well then I think but I know you wanted to give such a want time Charlotte go for it Tara yeah so I think I think it's a really good point you're making Jimmy that it depends on how big you get and, and how that changes your buyer and if you look at the role of insurance and what it is to business fundamentally and the amount of risk that is changing and how we live our lives and what we're willing to insure, um, it's just getting wider and wider. So I think it, to your earlier point, it's no surprise that it's becoming, uh, larger, the funding's becoming larger. And I think ultimately that M&A is coming. Um, we're in an interesting situation, you know, as a 14 year old company, um, that was one of the early insurer techs before it was really seasoned in, in insurance, but we see that. So yeah, you, you see a series of inbound offers and I think, um, it does get, it does get really interesting. And as the founder or as, you know, product owners, you got to really know what's your vision for your product, and does this does this meet it? And I think it it's a really good question: is what are you obsessed about? Are you obsessed about the customer? What's your commitment to your investors? Um, you know, who really is on first? And and I think that's really what drives a lot of that answer.
1: Tara, Tara that's great. I mean, Ari, have you got a perspective you want to add to this as well?
4: Yes, I think that maybe
1: uh we need
3: to think about it. if we look at other verticals, not insure tech, not fintech. Look at cyber. Look at other techs, right? Then you see that uh, a lot more MA activity. But I think that the cultural gap between those startups that are very let's say, let's take Cyber, for example, very techy, uh, The buyers are also very techy, right? You have Cisco, you have Google, Microsoft, whatever. But when you look at the insure tech, so think about what Charlotte said about being obsessed with their customers. And I can definitely say that we have the same culture of, you know. Always making happy customers. Always thinking about: Are we doing something that is helping the customer, not only ourselves, not only the loss ratio, whatever? So, are, are we developing something that is helping our customer? And think about the gap between the insurtech culture and the incumbents. I think it's not there yet, but there's no doubt. If we've talked a few years ago, there were there were not so many. SPACs and, and whatnot, and I am sure that if we'll talk in two years' time, the MA landscape will change as well, both from insurtechs buying other insurtechs, but also from incumbents just realizing that they have to bridge that gap, and taking insurtechs will help them.
1: It's a fair shout, and I think we had a, a, a had a space of insurtechs buying insurtechs at the back end of last year whether it was Risk Genius being acquired by Bold Penguin, being then being acquired by American Family, and I think there was a couple of others as well, and then Next made up a couple of acquisitions. Before we move on, I mean, the, the other thing that's interesting here is, each of these categories are interesting to me, whether it's um, vehicle insurance, pet insurance, I mean, each of you represent things that are, I'm not gonna say net new, but you've been obsessed about things that move, how we rent property or how we get into homeowners or pets themselves, Do do you think there's something different or unique here that traditional carriers haven't picked up on that you've managed to obsess about, whether it's on a product that matters and the right coverages or Charlotte, to your point about, you know, an 80 NPS, which you just don't really hear of in insurance.
2: I think that's the secret of the success. It's a relentless obsessive focus. And I do see that as the difference between success and failure in a lot. It's, it's very hard in a, in a busy, high growth business. I mean, bought by many, doubled last year, it doubled the year before. It's, it's a rocket ship. And in order to keep that on control, the senior leadership team is really obsessed with focus. And focus always comes down to what and why what do the customers want? What's the point in this? Why are we doing it? What are we making better? Where does it come from? And it's it's interesting because some of these other discussions and the um, I suppose even the bought by many reaction to the to the latest news we've had this week. It's all been around. I, I hear this on my calls. I can do this now. I can make this. The customers ask me for this, and I can make it happen. That's the reaction you get. And it's interesting because some of the some of the other discussions, they're not. They're not the routine discussions that we have. Everything we do has this obsessive focus on the customer and what we're doing and why we're building it, and have we tested it, and how many customers have you put that in front of and and what's happening next and I think that's 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 certainly a secret to what I see as as success, yeah.
4: I think that's where the room's been left, right, is there was this room to truly be obsessed about the customer. There had been businesses that really weren't focused on it. They didn't know their customer. They didn't have that relationship. And offering personalized services for how we live our lives, and then really not just offering a service for how we live our life, but that fits into it, that you can communicate the way you want to, just just the way you would work a friendship. It's, it's a whole different connection that we have with your customer now. And um, there's so much ease with asking for their opinion and getting their advice. It's just, it's, it's, it's very different so I do think that that is what's you know sort of the divide culturally is that customer obsessed customer first approach that you know you can you can actually build a business with that at the heart of it.
0: I think though there's um, there's definitely a like innovators dilemma thing that layers on top of that. There's a reason why the incumbents can't do this stuff. So a really good case study of that is Aviva's uh, Viva plus business So they've now after spending two years on TV constantly advertising it knocked on the head which started to do some of the stuff that I know well, many do and we do, which bridges us to our next story, which is like not price-walking customers and looking after them and giving them fair terms. And then they realise that it's like, oh, hang on, we've got this business unit over here that's less profitable than our core business unit and it's cannibalizing our sales. Uh, like new CEO comes in, hang on, we'll knock that on the head. The, like, the numbers don't add up. And I think <clears throat> like exactly as Tara says, they've left the customer-centric space but not only that, they're trapped in a non-customer
1: centric space. And that's why I think they, they really struggle to move. Well, let me let me interrupt there and take us to Jamie to our next story, because that was actually a perfect segue into um, the news that this week, insurers must not penalise loyal customers. And this is in the UK, um, said the FCA. And this, this the background to this is something we've talked about many, many times. And frankly, if you ever work in insurance... And you tell anyone else, this is the first thing they'll tell you. Oh, why is my insurance gone up this year? It, I didn't claim last year. Um, so people renewing their home or motor insurance will pay no more than they would as a new customer from January. These new rules have been confirmed by the FCA following years of complaints. Uh, this move will save loyal customers an estimated £4.2 billion pounds over 10 years, according to the FCA. However, it could also mean the end of cheaper deals for new customers. The FCA has been trying to change the rules to prevent price walking when insurance prices rise at each renewal, even though the level of risk has not changed. And this follows complaints, as I said, from consumer groups that loyal customers pay more unnecessarily. I think, Jimmy, it would be rude for me not to start with you, given that you titled the piece that said, good riddance to unethical price walking. Tell us more.
0: Yeah, I've been fairly vocal on the subject, and I, I think... Yeah, starting point number one, we have never done this. We've always stood against it. The changes coming in will not affect our businesses in any way. January the 1st, we will carry on as normal and everyone else will will be dealing with the chaos. So that's point number one. I think, um, yeah, it, it is pretty worrying. Like this is an industry podcast, right? It's pretty worrying that the regulator has seen the need to step in on something as big as pricing. And it's not like it's a surprise, like no one's been talking about it for the last decade. It, it's thing that's been knocking around. Now these, the regulators stepped in and said, no, I'm going to control how you price. And that is, that's a big deal. So I think it's kind of a shocking indictment of, of the way the industry has sort of failed to innovate or think about customers really for the last, for the last decade. I think in terms of how it changes the world, I think it really could change the way people buy in quite a few ways. So one of the things that's going to happen is the efficacy of using a price comparison site as a consumer is going to go down. So that classic thing of, oh, my insurer's put my insurance up 100 quid a year again. I'll get on the comparison site and switch. Like, that's just not going to be the case, right? So, um, and prices for new customers are going to have to go up. So the, just the spread is going to be much tighter. I think that the best when I say best, in definitely in quotes, um, the most enabled insurers will work their way around it because they can 100% price differentiate down to the individual. And so they will, if you, if an existing customer comes back to them for a new quote, they'll charge them, they'll quote them the renewal price, but new customers will be on a different model, Was is my guess of what that, that'll do. And then that means the more sophisticated insurers will crack open a pretty massive lead over the less sophisticated. So I think that could be... Pretty interesting thing too.
1: Let me ask here, because you've all talked about NPS or customer first or whatever else, and customer need is part of this though. The fact that the customer need was actually just the cheapest price. We don't go to a price comparison website and look for or rate by service or value or claims payout. We look for it based on price comparison. So, so Charlotte, what's your take on? the future of price comparison, if this is now coming into force, do we see the end of price comparison or no?
2: No, I think there'll still be a need to change. I mean, it's really interesting listening to what Jimmy said. Bought by many is another company that's never done dual pricing. So exactly the same for us, although PET wasn't included. Actually, we've never charged a different price either. It's an ethical stance for us. Um, I do disagree with Jimmy that there's been no innovation in pricing. Um, you know, actuary myself by background, has been loads of innovation. It just hasn't gone the way <laughs> the customers <laughs> want. Believe me, it's got very, very, very smart at measuring elasticities of how likely you are to switch or not uh, to the point where it will, you know, change your price depending on how far before your renewal data is um whether you clicked back on the journey or forward or not is i mean there's all sorts of incredible incredible data science that's in there it just doesn't really act in the in the uh, interest of the customer it's interesting is that when you look at the overall industry loss ratios there is it's you know it, it is going to be giving to take away so there there will be some renewal but the interesting thing is that i think this will I'm hugely supportive of this. It will support vulnerable customers. So it will support customers who are less able to do that really sophisticated uh, shopping around. Um, And that's the society we want. And that's what we should have. And that's what insurance is supposed to be a superhero industry, right? So this was was definitely on the evil superhero side of things that we did as opposed to good. So I'm very pleased to see the end of it. Albeit, I think it's going to be a very interesting time for motor and household for um, books who are not able to react and maybe we'll see some sales, maybe we'll see some people pulling out of different sectors, maybe we'll see some movement. I think that's that's going to be a big reaction against this.
1: Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's definitely going to be a transition period. Yeah. T- Tari, Ori, uh, what's your perspective from, from your various different ge- uh, geos that you represent? Is it, is it the same in country or are you not seeing this?
3: No. So I think that actually –
1: uh, it's, it's interesting, but
3: this is not only uh, unique to insurance, right? Your cable or internet provider often raises your rates uh, after a while. And then you see like this big TV commercial inviting you to get lower price. You pick up the phone and say, oh, no, you're an existing customer. You're not eligible. And it's like super annoying. And it's not, so I'm saying it's basically, it's just not only insurance, but insurance regulator sometimes has actually extra power. So I'm happy to see that they're stepping up. That's incredible. I think I have to say that again, we have talked about really caring about our customers. So it's the same here. We want to retain our customers. It's not uh, less important than getting, onboarding new customers. So every churned user that we have, for us, it's, you know, it, it hurts. Right, And when you take calculations of lifetime value and you have to make the unit economic work, then you don't count them for one year, right? You, you calculate LTVs, it's usually more than uh, just this one purchase to make things uh, make sense, uh, especially for MGA businesses, uh, uh, as Charlotte mentioned, and ourselves. So for us, any churned user is horrible, right? And so we put a lot of effort in keeping those users happy. Uh, not only in price, as you've mentioned, but price is obviously a factor.
4: I think, uh, you know, I think this is a really interesting subject. And I think that we've seen this coming for a long time and, uh, it started with how we retail shop. You used to be able to keep a shirt and pass it on through three kids and then give it to your sister and nobody thought that was obscene, right? And now that we have fast fashion has come in and changed our lives and it's changed our cable and we've seen commoditization and just we don't build electronics to last for, for 25 years. We build them to last for three to four. And, you know, you saw the huge thing that happened with Sonos when their speakers actually became obsolete. And they said, we're not even going to support these. Sorry, you bought them. And so there's so many other industries you can look at and see this this concept of the price pressure. And I think. um I think when you have a grudge buy no one really wants to have to buy insurance it's, a, it's it's something they know they need um and so I think when you bring the psychology of of you know commoditization and the the quick uh you know and disposable society it puts this really tough situation and that's why I believe NPS a, a true net promoter score is actually more important than ever because if somebody has been through a claim and as we have more catastrophic events and we have more accidents and we have more time with our pets and we care and we love deeper and we're we're slowing down and seeing what matters. I honestly feel that this last year might have actually given us this different shift where we started to buy higher price furniture that's going to last longer, where we started to make sure that, you know, we were thinking about the dental care for our pet because we noticed, you know what I mean? Hey, what's going on on that tartar on their gut? Like there's, there's all these things that when you slow down, you see your life. And so I think that this legislation comes in at an interesting time where people have started to question how we're living our lives and we're making value-based decisions. So if there was ever a great Time for it. I re- I really do think it's right now. Um, as we start to pivot, in and how are we showing up? And is it, is everything better if it's faster, newer, cheaper, quicker? And and I think we're starting to say, I'm not sure it is. I
1: I love I love this. The one last question. Let me um let me finish, Jimmy, with a quick ones for you. Do you think this is going to change the? Uh, way in which we buy insurance and I, what I mean here is not how whether it's price comparison or otherwise, but actually the business model. are we going to see less annual policies and more monthly policies as a net result? So I, I guess the the one of the reasons you're targeting that question at me is I think we are sort of
0: probably reasonably pioneering in in doing proper subscription insurance. So um, around about eighty percent of the policies we sell are genuine monthly policies. There's kind of no commitment beyond the month. Uh, it's not an annual policy kind of hiding as a, as a monthly policy. I think our customers do value that, but only in certain channels, right? So, I mean, it's worth noting, and I know this is the same for Charlotte as well. We trade loads on the price comparison websites. And, you know, most, like me personally, if I want to buy insurance, if if we don't sell it, I'll go to a price comparison site, right? I think that's often where you start the journey. And I think, um, In that setting, people who are like quite savvy, they've bought insurance 10 times before, they're going to keep buying insurance in the same way. Um, They just might understand a bit better what price they're paying for it. I think where we see the difference, which maybe is a longer burn than that, is our youngest customers really get it. So they're like... They're looking around going, uh, right, Netflix, pay for that monthly, Spotify, a general monthly subscription. Ah, okay, insurance. Yeah, this is what I've been looking for. Like, we get that a lot on our customer service channel. It's like, this is what I've been looking for. Where have you guys been all my life, my short life, because I'm young? <laughs> um, and that, I think that kind of, I don't think this is going to be the tipping point on that. Um, and we, for example, still offer an annual policy, right? Because there's like a big segment that wanted, want it, but... Um, It'll be interesting to see as those younger customers mature and become bigger insurance buyers, whether that flows
1: through. Really interesting. Look, I think on that point, let's take a quick break. We will be back very soon.
5: Season two of the FinTech Marketing Podcast has landed. Join me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer here at 11FS as I talk directly to some of the most influential CMOs in the world of FinTech and financial services. I'm going to be asking them how they build brands, how they drive growth with modern day marketing. This season, I also have a new co-host, Mariette Ferreira, our marketing director here at 11FS. She will be talking to the people getting down and dirty on the marketing front lines with roundtable chats from some of the best in the business. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out. That's FinTech Marketing Podcast by 11FS.
1: Welcome back. Let's get on with the news. So next up is a whiplash backlash. That's a tongue twister in itself. Uh, new rules to crack down on fraudulent insurance claims. This is where the government in the UK is promising more than a billion pounds in savings for motorists as new rules and car insurance claims for whiplash come into effect in England and Wales at the start of June. The new rules would enable insurers to cut premiums for millions of drivers by about £35 per year. And the aim is to cut the high numbers of fraudulent road accident claims. The reform will also include a simplified process for making accident claims online that are under £5,000 and medical evidence will also be mandatory for all future whiplash claims. The government says that the UK is some of the safest roads in Europe with fewer crashes being reported year on year since 2013. Yet road traffic accident claims are more than 40% higher now than in 2006. Insurers have pledged to pass on the savings to motorists with a total of about £1.2 billion. So where do I even start with this one? Ori, I guess as you're uh, in the mobile space, what's your perspective on this? Fraud, uh, fraudulent claims, something that we see time and time again? Hasn't medical evidence been needed before? What's
3: your take? First of all, I think that you must note that this new regulation is exciting, though it's very local, right? So it's probably very UK specific, not necessarily throughout the rest of the world. Um, I'm going to take a different perspective on that question, if you don't mind, Nigel. And I think that actually what's going to happen with uh, claims and fraudulent claims is data. So I think this is the big revolution. This is what's going to happen. People are going to use more data. The cars and vehicles are going to get much more connected. You'll get telemetry data. It will help you with the underwriting part, but even more so on the claims part. So this is how I think it's going to evolve, understanding exactly what happened and being able to verify what happened, when it happened and uh, who's at fault and if it's uh, fraudulent or not. So I think data is key and um, throughout the mobility world.
1: Fascinating. Tara, have you got a perspective from the US or?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So at Splice, I mean... uh, our bread and butter is really in the claims uh, arena and so uh, home and auto is obviously a sweet spot for the number of touches Um, you know it it happens so much more frequently and so this is not I'm excited that the UK has done this I think it needs to happen um, as much as possible but I agree uh, policy is less likely to be the true game changer versus technology so we look at it too with like roof claims um, from weather events coastal you know hurricanes tornadoes even just having drone service come out and checking the baseline um, knowing that somebody can't put in a claim two months later because they heard how much money their neighbor got for a new roof and and getting that protection to carriers. I think the exciting, and it's true, like we laugh at these things, but these things happen. And you look at people that like, you know, jump in front of vehicles and then have so much soft tissue damage. And I, I do think this one's fraught with issues because um, soft tissue damage medically is incredibly hard to prove. And you're going to get into a precedent setting issue where yes, we're bringing out hard legislation, but then it's going to hit it when lawyers challenge it and how well does it stand up? And so by reducing the total payable, there, there's a really good opportunity here. Uh, Canada has actually done similar things. The U.S. is still very wide open for this, um, and there's an entire... You know, much more than just a cottage industry of lawyers. That just this is their entire business. This is a multi-million billion dollar business that's being disrupted, and I think it's it's going to take a lot to shake that big fella um, down a bit. Uh, but it is ultimately going to be technology that sets us free. And I, I love a hashtag #DataForGood. I started using it five years ago, and I feel like this is going to be a beautiful story of data for good. It's not data for Big Brother. It is data for good, and um, and I like the idea that the money's trickling all the way through. So the commitment of the return and the reduced. Poll- Policies. I think, you know, premiums, that's that's the story we want to hear, um, but it does come with transparency.
1: I, I love what you say and actually links back to Ari. I mean, I, I met a startup years ago in Israel that had a whole host of stuff they were doing using data for soft tissue damage. So lots more of this. Uh, Jimmy, Charlotte, really, UK has the safest roads. Charlotte, what do you think?
2: So uh, as you know, in previous life, I spent many years in telematics. Um, it's it's quite unbelievable. Anyone who spends time like looking into motor claims, it's just it's shocking. It's shocking and it's Organised the fraud. I think that's the thing. There's one thing about uh, over here, there's someone who, uh, the stories you get, someone's maybe exaggerating a bit or something, uh, you know, in no way saying that's right. But over on the other side, you have this incredibly smart industry, networked industry of multiple claims, multiple parties, professionals. It's unbelievable, the effort that goes into defrauding motor insurance companies. And, um, And it all trickles down. So it's all in the end paid for by customers. But on top of that, it funds unbelievable amounts of crime. So it's, um, I I think any any lifting of this pandora's box is um really really welcome um but i think you're right as well data data's king here so you can prove it i know with telematics the early telematics that um that we were doing back in you know 2010 and since then it was it already can really show that did not happen in that way that can't have happened where you saw it whether it was the simple cases of that crash didn't happen where you said it was, whether it was where that car drove before or afterwards, whether it was the G-forces on the vehicle, even, um, you know, we're a good 10 plus years down the line now. There's there's a lot of information in here and, and this is what can be used to try and protect ourselves against some really nefarious practices.
1: Maybe that's a really great reason why we, Joe just secured a $1.1 billion valuation because of connected car data and all the trillions of data points they have. Fascinating. The thing for me that I love most is that the money is going back to the end customers. So whether they see this as a saving from whiplash or anything else, they'll see it as a saving bar none. And that will be a good thing. Um, with that, let's move on to our next story. Uh, SMEs are borrowing more cash to pay for insurance premiums. So on the previous story, it felt like a good thing. This feels like a bad thing. Um, the business insurance costs of SMEs and corporates are increasingly being paid through credit. New research from premium credit has found. The study found that among SME owners and managers who use credit to pay for premiums, nearly one in four respondents said that they increased the amount they borrowed in the past year. The average additional credit they borrowed was nearly £1,300. The pandemic's financial impact on the business and the greater economy forced many SMEs to use credit to pay for insurance, and most of the additional borrowing involved credit cards. About 60% of SME bosses have used their card to pay for insurance, and 24% have reported to using personal or business loans to pay for coverage. And then finally, 7% of SMEs have said that their firm has absolutely no cash reserves. Quite a worrying state of affairs. Um, cash flow has been an ongoing issue for SMEs during the pandemic. Where do we start, folks? Jimmy, what's, uh, what's post-lockdown life look like for small businesses?
0: Yeah, I think you know to an extent. It's like we are in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like it, it is going to be really bad. And sometimes I think with all the government stimulus uh, in multiple different countries, there's kind of like on the surface everything's fine, and then when you get underneath and you look in the detail, you're like, it's a bit scary. Hope things t- hope things get better, right? And lots of those SMEs will be in will be in lockdown businesses, so pubs, restaurants, cafes, etc. And you would hope that they will kind of storm back now in the next next few months and ease some of those credit worries. I think you know, hopefully some of this. And I think you know, just knowing some small businesses locally and definitely living a lot more locally over the last you know uh, year, getting to know some of the local businesses that I'm in every day quite well. There is actually more awareness of credit. So there's like the small business owner goes, you know, I manage my budget, I never spend more than I earn, and then suddenly it's like I need to borrow money from the government, from everyone, to stay alive. And so it's like, oh, well, actually, you know what? I can spread the cost of my insurance every year, and that is one of my big expenses. Maybe I should do that. Hopefully, there's a bit of that kind of slightly more, you know, less scary message. But you know, overall, it is a is a scary headline.
1: It it's an interesting one. Is in, in that. Small businesses—they don't tell you this in the story, obviously—but small businesses have been a equally huge benefactor in the in the lockdown. And actually, one of the stats I read said we actually started more businesses in the last eighteen months than we did the prior eighteen months. So people have been brave to see and have the inspiration or ability to go and set something up for the first time. And of course, small businesses can be one man or woman in a van, all the way through to 250 people. But on the flip side, of course, SMEs also feel quite let down by insurance in the last uh, 12 or 18 months. Tara, I don't know, what's your perspective from from the States?
4: Yeah, so I think there is a positive story that I read from this headline as, as we we're looking at this, and that's that at least they're not showing up and saying, I'm going to do business without insurance. Um, Right. So you find a way to do the things that matter to you. You find a way to prioritize it. And saying that this isn't, um, you know, under the covers, I think, Jimmy, to your point, there is, there's a lot of pain still in businesses. People put money into people. Um, They put money into keeping doors open. They, They put money into a lot of different things. Obviously, the you know, we're open, we're closed. What does it mean to be open? Have to change. Like we, we don't want to judge where all their money went, but they made choices that they thought were right from their business based on where they stood, right or wrong. But they're making a plan to go forward safely and whether they're buying policies for their staff to take care of them with proper benefits. They're buying cyber policies, which is disgustingly growing way too fast because nobody understands the risk really properly yet. And a lot of strong opinions on that. So there is a little bit of like shame on you insurance. You guys got to use more information and recognize the true risk and exposure and what is the Potential damage. And um, I, I feel there's two messages in this. One is, well, at least they're buying insurance <laughs> and it's okay to spread it over the lifetime. You don't have to just output all the cash. And understanding, you know, we talk about innovation and tech, you have to finance for growth. And so we shouldn't shame these businesses for financing for growth as long as it actually has growth plans too, not just risk aversion, risk aversion, because we're, we're so scared. Um, on the other side, though, I do think. There's some real issues in understanding liability, um, who owns the liability. Uh, what the consumer's role is in it. Um, Do they really have that degree of damage? They give their pin to six different people. They leave their credit card statement in their garbage and somehow somebody found out their name and phone number and they get X amount in a class action. Like, give me a break. And I know that's unpopular. Nobody wants to hear about that. We just want to stream at big corporate when something gets leaked and hackers think they're the big winner. But I think we kind of have to have a bit of a, okay, wait a minute. What is the true damage and exposure on this? And um, I think there's a lot bigger conversation there.
1: I'm with you. I'm the optimist in seeing that this is a good thing that people are still actually buying it. Ori, do you have a perspective that you can share?
3: Yeah, so I think I'll add two comments to maybe to tone down a bit the bad news headlines. <laughs> I think that one as as we, as we I think Jimmy mentioned before, I think we're going to see more and more uh, subscription-based insurance that might help with that as well. So not only on the personal lines, but also on the business side. So on demand and usage-based insurance—that's that's a big thing for us. All the way to hourly policies and you know um, insurance per ride uh, in some cases. So I think that's going to get bigger. Uh, also, as I said, not only on personal but also on the business side. And then, and another issue is that I think that more and more companies are addressing SMEs. As uh, So some of the the, uh, user experiences for SMEs insurance are getting closer to the personal lines, meaning you can buy it online, it's easier, you don't have to use your broker. And then at the end of this process, it's almost natural to have a credit card usage. So I think that might be an effect, like an additional effect that we see here, because um, look at Next Insurance, for example, right? You're probably going to pay with your card if you're going to do that.
4: Um, It just matches the journey. Yeah, exactly. It's a great point. Charlotte?
2: Um, yeah, I I think the insurance industry needs to step up and see how useful their products are. So while we can say it's great that people are still buying them, like what are they buying? Is it really useful? I think especially when it comes to SME, where's the ethical stance from the insurance industry that says we are being genuinely useful? We're actually the products that we've got help these people who like, insurance is not their bag and it's not their job either especially with SME this is they're probably buying a product that to un, uh, there's an informational disadvantage for the customer here you probably know more about the risks that could happen to that business than the the new SME owner does um in terms of the extreme risks i mean I don't mean day to day i mean the the really unusual things that could happen and it's insurance industry's job It's absolutely beholden on them to make sure that they stand up and explain them and build products that are genuinely useful. Put things in it that are built to use um, and also on top of that, step up and help them manage their risks. So we were talking about one of those cyber points. I mean, how how much education goes the other way? About what can happen there when it comes to everything, the insurance industry knows. Don't stand at the end and go, "Oh, we shouldn't have done that. That was a really silly thing to do." These, you know, step up and proactively say to customers, "You know what? This, this, and this can this can help you avoid that horrible situation, which is a win for everyone."
4: Yeah, if I can build on what you're saying with that, Charlotte, I, I, I would maybe take a lesson from you look at employee and staff benefits, and the agencies are getting involved, and they're teaching people how to use them better and be proactive, and they're doing, you know, telematics health a- addition things and, and, and taking a healthier lifestyle. And I think that sees a higher MPS score and happier customers. And you could actually bring that knowledge to the rest of your SME, to your liability, to your board coverage, to your buildings coverage, to your cyber. Um, and I think it, it would make it would make an increased customer service uh, experience, really.
1: I'll share this with, I'll, I'll finish the story with two confusing or two counter arguments. A quick search brings up that UK households repaid 16 billion dollars, 16 billion pounds, sorry, of credit card debt during the pandemic. Yet a different story says that 50% of Americans added to credit card debt during the pandemic. So I think there's different different ways you look at it depending which sites you go through. Um, but I, I, I go back to the very premise that Tara shared, which is, People are still buying it and they're not shying away from it. So they're actually doing the right thing in the first instance, which I think is great. Um, With that, let's finally move to our last story, which is a stink device. I'm going to use inverted commas. When I was young, they were called stink bombs. But there we go. Probably we can't say the word bomb. Uh, So a (laughs) stink device was set off at Lloyd's HQ and other big insurers are also being hit by campaigners. This is All Around Insurance Rebellion has this afternoon taken part in another nationwide protest with Extinction Rebellion visiting the main entrance of Lloyds of London to set off a stink device. Rather smelly indeed. Thank God we can't work from the office for some occasions. Uh, This was in coalition with demands that the UK government and insurance industry stop supporting the West Cumbria coal mine and other fossil fuel projects. Insurance Rebellion noted that the stink devices, which emitted a very strong smell of sulphur, I'll let you guess what that smells like, represent the stink of sulphur-rich coal mine, as well as the fact that the plan to build a coal mine in a climate emergency truly does stink. Lloyd's is the focus of the protests, the group said, because it's already one of the biggest fossil fuel insurers in the world. Lloyd's HQ is not only the insurer being targeted by protesters, as the insurer Future Network, it's sending a number of large insurers, namely AIG, Lloyds and Tokyo Marine through physical and digital actions. Uh, finally, the coalition has also released a full page advertisement in the FT referring to three insurers as the coal insurers of last resort, highlighting 24 others that have already stopped insuring coal projects. Wow, there's loads to unpack on this one. Who wants to go first? Ori, shall I start with you? I mean... Is this just kicking up a much ado about nothing or is this really the stink? Well, <laughs>
3: uh, pun intended. I think that, um, I think that first of all, you know, this is a classic way to get on the news, right? You have well, protesters again, as I've mentioned before, it's not only for insurance, right? This is something that is happening outside of insurance as well, protesting and agendas and and whatnot. And, um, I'm going to connect it to the previous point that we've talked about cyber by the way. I think that the next stink bomb will actually be in the cyberspace. So, I'm I'm actually coming from a tech and cyber background. So, I am one of those that are still afraid of cyber attacks and uh, I take it very very seriously and we might see the next stink bomb actually happening online. Re- really interesting, Tara.
4: Yeah, I think this is a this is a really tricky issue and I maybe just as a point of clarity I do take cyber extremely carefully. I think it is grouped into one bucket and it's actually just so much more complex than that so uh, I think it's really knowing what your policy should be based on what data you hold and don't hold more data than you need um, most of you know the investor community has really come to realize you know everyone data is gold data is oil uh, you know it, it, it is if you can use it and if it's actually yours to access and you can store it properly and all the rest of it but I'll
1: come back out of cyber and go back to the dirty energy or fossil fuels
4: I think that goes back to the buying thing of like uh, the disposable life and fast energy fast out. And I think that it's surprising, quite honestly, that we haven't seen protested like this in insurance earlier. I think everybody's working through everything that matters to them and everything they stand for. People have had more spare time. They're traveling you know, less. They're, they're around home. And so they're protesting. They're getting involved. Social's expedited this. I think we're going to see more and more of it um, because people are buying based on values they want to work with companies based on values. They want to hold companies to their values. And if they don't like the decision you're making and they don't like where it goes for the planet, they want to have a vote. And we're we're endorsing that everyone gets a vote on everything. And I think that's how our world works, right? Is we all have a voice. And so they're making it heard. Is it an appropriate way? That's a different discussion, but it's working. I,
1: I think it's wonderful that they found 24 insurers that I'm looking for the positives here. I'm, I am the eternal optimist, but there's 24 insurers that are clean and Green, as they say. Jimmy, something you come across in your business? Do your buyers actually care about this sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, so particularly younger audience. So, you know, we try and wherever we can favor the green solution in particularly claims handling, which, you know, we're, we're trying to formalize a bit at the moment, but, uh, but it's definitely something that that's important just to me personally, let alone our customers. And, you know, clearly the climate emergency is pretty much the issue that matters the most to all of us in the world, right? So you, sh- you can't ignore it. I think, in these situations, what I often try and do to find the nuance is I imagine what would I do or what, what would I think about this if I was the Lloyd CEO? what would I what would if this was sitting on my desk, like what would I do about it? And th- there is this challenge, which is how do you like we all drive cars, we all get you know bus, train, whatever. like you've got to, we need some fuel of some kind. How does that business get conducted? While we do the green transition, while we do the renewable transition, because someone's got to do it. Um, and that's the really tough thing. If you're sitting in that seat is like, they are an obvious party to do that. Um, someone's got to do it. I mean, if not them and if not, you know, if no insurer, then the government's going to have to step in and insure it. Um, which is that, is that any better? Um, so they're being, they're being, (laughs) they're being a bit scapegoated for like a really tough issue. And the method, yeah, as we said, is, you know, is, is questionable when you, there's a fine line between, you know, you know protest and aggression, right? So, um, but, but clearly, I guess what I, you know, generally support about the Extinction Rebellion stuff is that it is massively, we're, we're talking about it a lot more than we were even two or three years ago. And that, that's the prize here is there are a lot more people taking it a lot more seriously. And I think that is really important. Charlotte, before we
2: close, so insurance is the great enabler, right? So insurance enables things to happen, and that's always been the nature of the industry. So uh, you, I mean, if you if you were protesting, they've they've definitely hit a very important cog in this chain. Um, insurance flips out. What, what were we talking about before? We were talking about the informational advantage that insurance companies have. Um, about making sure that the thing that you're insuring is done in the most ethical, in the most, uh, the cleanest way you can. That's what, that's also what insurance companies do. They can uphold standards, they can demand standards. So um, I expect that insurance will be held to a high standard to do that. And I hope that insurance will lead on it as well.
1: It's a great place to close. I am actually proud of the efforts personally of the insurers are doing. I think uh, Viva announced uh, a while back the first insurer to target net zero uh, carbon by 2040. I think if you go back to December 2020, Lloyds of London released its first ever sustainability report uh, and declared uh, a strategy to reduce um, its exposure to non-renewable energy. So I think actually insurance is making a really, really strong stand. Um who knows where it goes, but the stick devices are definitely not the right way. You could almost call it ironic. Let's take out a four page advert and a printed piece of paper that goes out to thousands of people. But that's a different story. That wraps up the news for this time. Where can our listeners find out more about you, Ori?
3: Well, you can search me up on LinkedIn. I'm Ori Blumenthal or search for Voom Insurance on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. You name it. We're on everywhere. Fantastic. Jimmy? Uh, I think I said the last time I was on here
0: that I've given up Twitter and actually that's persisted. So don't bother looking for me on Twitter. There's nothing there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Williams or Urban Jungle Insurance on, uh, on LinkedIn too.
1: Given up Twitter. Ouch. Tara, where can we find you?
4: Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it'll be easy. Um, and uh, I am still on Twitter, TK Tech Now. Uh, all kinds of opinions. It goes in bursts. And uh, check us out at SpliceSoftware.com. Fantastic. And finally, Charlotte.
2: Yes, come find me on LinkedIn, Charlotte Hulkett, H-A-L-K-E-2-T's. Um, or I'm on Twitter as well as Charlie Hulket, um, or boughtbymany.com.
1: Fantastic. And you can find me at Nigel Walsh, still fighting the good e-scooter fight on Twitter. Thank you to all my guests. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps us to make it better and helps others find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11 colon FS or InsureTech Insider. Find us on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye.